As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Barth. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. And that's right, guys, it's your host, Anthony Pagnata, your co-host, Josh Marlowe, with you. And we are on camera for the first time since the Orange Bowl preview of last year. It has been, oh no, the awards of last year, correct. That's right. Awards of last year, that was the last time we were on camera. It's been a while, and that's right. It probably looks a little bit different than the last time that we were on camera, but looks familiar to a lot of you guys. Uh, this is we, We're back in our studio. It's been a while, but uh, we are glad to be back here. And uh, again, we are going to be taking you up until the season with mostly on video podcast we'll have some that we'll probably sprinkle in there some interviews that we're going to do uh, that will be the waveforms edition of the podcast that you can check out on the facebook page you can of course uh, check out the podcast uh, on the website uh, any of the other podcast platforms but we are going to be doing a lot of this stuff on video going forward so we are extremely excited to have that element back into uh, the Facebook page and 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 uh, back into the content for you guys uh, going forward throughout the season. So uh, we got a big show coming up here. Uh, this will be the first edition of the podcast where we're going to do some of the position previews for this year. Remember, in years past, we've done sides of the ball, so we've done offense, defense, and then special teams. This year, a little bit different. We're going to do it uh, position by position like we do with the articles on the website because we want to go a little more in-depth this year. We've got a little bit more time to do that as well. Uh, so we're going to do that today. But before we do that, we are going to have some things that are going to kind of bookend this episode at the start. Uh, we're going to have 
Uh, news and notes. Uh, we'll take you through some of the uh, latest news uh, around Tar Heel football. We'll start out with that. We're also going to talk about Mac Brown, whether or not he's a top 10 coach in college football right now after uh, the Bill Bender article ranking all 130 coaches throughout college football. So we'll go over that. And uh, then, of course, we'll get to the nitty gritty, start talking about uh, the quarterback position, a position that, believe it or not, just a few years removed from having one of the worst quarterback rooms in the ACC. Now, has arguably the best quarterback room in the ACC. So we're going to talk through all of that on today's podcast edition. First of all, buddy, how's it feel to be back on camera? I know it's been a while. Uh, I, I feel like uh, you are pretty excited, though, to get back uh, on camera and start uh, doing some of these uh, the, these previews for the upcoming season. Because believe it or not, I, it's under two months away from the start of the season. The main thing is that if we're on camera, that means we got some big stuff to talk about. And like you said, we're two months away from the most hyped offseason of our lives. And you got to go back to the first time Mac Brown was here for Tar Heel football fans. Definitely. I mean, the juices are flowing. Like you said, the calendar we have gotten into July was a big recruiting month for football where Mac Brown's done a good job recruiting. But we're ready to see this 2021 team on the field. I'm just excited to talk about it. Yeah, well, on the day of recording here, uh, we do have some stuff. Of course, he mentioned a lot of recruiting. There's a lot of stuff that's kind of following up that big month of June. Go back, check out the last edition of the podcast. Podcast. If you're looking for some stuff on Connor Harrell, uh, some of the other stuff that we talk about on there, we're going to touch on a couple of really quick things. Uh, I, I'm doing that edition of the podcast later tonight, recording-wise, uh, with Zach Hubbard, but it'll be up there before this edition of the podcast. Uh, as for us, you know, talking about some of the guys that are already on the field for Carolina, uh, one interesting note for Carolina that came out a couple of weeks ago, Sam Howell, uh, the starting quarterback for the Tar Heels, a guy that's one of the top six uh, guys in Vegas for the Heisman Trophy. That's a whole other argument that we could go over uh, in terms of some of the guys that are in front of him. But uh, he was named first-team All-American by Walter Camp Football Foundation. That is big because some people may say, well, do they name two quarterbacks to their first team? No, it's one quarterback. So he beat out Spencer Radler. Uh, he beat out a couple of the other guys around the country, Bryce Young, uh, C.J. Stroud, who a lot of people think are going to have big seasons at Alabama and Ohio State. Um, so that's, that's a pretty significant honor for him. You feel like he's probably going to be on a lot of those first or second team All-American teams uh, as we head towards the season. Uh, Second team All-American according to Phil Steele. Uh, Carolina also two other guys. I wanted to mention these and that's why I I really put this headline in here. Two other guys on his third team uh, or third yeah, third team for the All-Americans. He had Raymond Voasic and Joshua Zudu both on the third team. I found that pretty interesting. Uh, So Clearly, Phil Steele, one of the guys that is one of the most accurate when it comes to predicting college football and what happens in his yearly magazines. Uh, he really likes this Tar Heel football team. We're going to talk to him coming up. Uh, it actually just, we were scheduled to have him on July 8th. It got pushed back a week, so it's going to be July 15th now. But we are going to have Phil Steele back this year. I know we took last year off, but he's going to come back on. He'll be talking, so you won't want to miss that when that edition comes up. We're going to ask him a lot about that stuff coming up. And then the other big news. Uh, that came out uh, I feel like it was last week uh, Keenan Stadium announces that it will be full capacity for the 2021 season. Not really much of a shock, especially with everything that you've seen around the country, but also in the state of North Carolina. So it seems like a lot of things are opening back up. Keenan Stadium is going to be one of those spots for this year. And I think uh, it's safe to say that most people, I think, felt like this was coming, but 
it's huge to get this news because this is a year where you feel like, especially uh, with the amount of talent that's going to be on the field this year, the building depth, and the fact that, let's be honest, this schedule is probably one of the easier ones that they're going to get over the next couple of years, it feels like this is a really good chance for Carolina to feed off their home environment and uh, have a really, really strong season at home. I mean, you're, they're, they're going to go places this year that might not be full capacity. And we saw last year what this team looked like when they went to Florida State. At that time, Florida had looser restrictions than North Carolina at the time. That environment played a big factor why Carolina ultimately lost that game. But as you mentioned, Carolina's supposed to be good. If they're going to be good, the environment was really good Mac Brown's first year, and that was a team that went 7-5. and five. You got a preseason top 10 team. You got a lot of late games at home, so we'll have all day to get into the stadium on time for kickoff and get some beers in us. Yeah, there you You go. Just tell them the kickoff's at 630 and they'll be in there in time for kickoff. But I, I think you're right. The environment this year is going to be the most electric that I think you and I have seen in our 10-plus years watching this football program. Yeah, I'm excited, man. We got season tickets this year. I, I think it's going to be... It's it's going to be crazy. Every game at home, I think, is going to be crazy, especially when we get to that back-to-back of Florida State and Miami coming in the week of the the 9th and then the 16th. I, I really think that's that's going to be special. Uh, that's you know a revenge game from last year for Carolina, one that'll probably factor into the race in the Coastal anyways, whether or not you know they they win that game or not. And then you go to the next week, probably the game that most people believes decides the Coastal. I feel like the first game of the year could play a factor in it but again it's the first game of the year that's something we're going to of course talk about much more in depth as we get towards it Um, but I I feel like those are two of the bigger games probably in Keenan Stadium history it's been a while but there's going to be a lot of I mean there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on both of those games especially that game against Miami you feel like that's that's one where I think college game day could be in town depending on where those teams are ranked and depending on what the rest of that week looks like so uh, definitely some exciting times Keenan Stadium going to be packed to the brim this year uh, you expect uh, full capacity for just about every single home game if not every single home game during the 2021 season uh, we move on another topic that we previewed Mac Brown uh, Uh, Listed as a top 10 coach, according to Bill Bender of the Sporting News, has him ranked as the number 10 coach in the country. Uh, This was one of those ones where, I'm going to be honest with you, I was surprised about the backlash that Mac Brown received. Uh, Some of it, you know, maybe a little bit justified. Others uh, who said that Dave Dorn should be ranked ahead of him, maybe not as justified. But I think it's a conversation that is worth having on this podcast. Um, you know, you, you look around the landscape of college football, and I mean, there are some really great coaches in college football right now. But I definitely think that you look at, I, I mean, outside of the top tier, which I think at this point, you know, it's safe to say you got Nick Saban, got Dabo Sweeney, then there's a drop-off, then you've got guys like Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley's in that mix, um, Brian Kelly in there as well, some of the other guys that come to mind, Dan Mullen, Kirby Smart, uh, Matt Campbell, I believe those are all the guys that are ranked ahead of him, unless I'm missing somebody, was that was that yeah. nine that I reeled off there? Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's a pretty legitimate Group. Oh, Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo, that was the other guy. So it's a pretty legitimate group uh, that's ahead of him. I don't have a problem with any of the people that are ahead of him. I think that's a really solid group. The only one that I might question is Kirby Smart, but that's really, I think, more just clouded judgment with the fact that Georgia fans are so harsh on their coach. I mean, he's 
got very similar numbers to what Mark Richt had when he was there. We all know that Mark Richt was a guy that, from the outside looking in, most of us thought Mark Richt's a pretty good coach. Uh, if you were a Georgia fan or really just in and around the Athens area, you would have thought that Mark Richt lost every game that he played or coached in. So, um, you know, I, I think there's an argument. Uh, I've looked at the guys that were behind him on the list, and i got to be honest with you. I think Mac Brown is probably in a good spot at number 10 on that list. Uh, you disagree a little bit, though. You think that there are some guys that are behind him that definitely have some arguments. So uh, I'll let you kind of take the floor here, and uh, we can we can kind of go back and forth on this. I think the thing you got to take into account is – and. Bill Bender is a hell of a writer. He knows this stuff as good as any person that Friend covers, of the podcast, who covers the sport you know, in, in the country. And the way he did it was you factor in everything. And Mac Brown, when you factor in everything that's on and off the field, he's absolutely a top 10 coach in college football. If you're asking me if he's a top 10 X and O's coach, I would say no. And I think, you know, you just, it's justified by the fact of what happened at the end of his, his tenure at Texas and then where he is right now. I know we just came off an Orange Bowl appearance and all that. I don't think X and O's he's a top ten coach with the younger coaches in college football. With that being said, Carolina doesn't need that. They need what he is, which he is a CEO type of guy who oversees the program. He's built the program back up, and that's how you can win in college football as opposed to other sports in the collegiate and pro levels. Is Davos Sweeney a top ten X and O's coach? Hell no. That Kirby Smart isn't not even close. I, now I think Kirby Smart's an X and O's top ten coach because the way he can coach defense, you know, is is as good as anybody that isn't named Nick Saban. So I mean, look, their defensive lines, which were supposedly the most stacked units on their teams, they haven't had a guy make the NFL since 2013. So I don't think he's all that great of an X's and O's guy. I think he, he recruits well. I'm not gonna base but, if, I'm not gonna base a guy off of NFL talent if he's or they if they go to the NFL off of X and O's. That's not that's not his job. I mean what, they made the they made the playoff one time. And they made the national title game. But I mean again, and and fell short. You were dominating in that game end up getting beat by a backup quarterback that comes in and takes over. You couldn't make adjustments. I, I mean... I don't see how they consistently win 10 games a year. They could usually play in the SEC title game. They've made a college football playoff. They won the Rose Bowl. That guy is a top 10 coach in college football. If he's not... If, he's, if you're considering the program building aspect, yes. As an X's and O's guy, no. I don't he's think a better so. coach than Mac Brown is though, on, on the field. I mean, yeah, I guess they're, they. I would probably put them in the same area. I would say, I would say it like this: some of the guys that are outside that group that you know were being considered, I would say Pat Fitzgerald is a better X's and O's coach than Kirby Smart. I think Pat Fitzgerald's a top seven, eight coach in college football in terms of coaching. You just can't get talent to go play at Northwestern because it's in Chicago and it's cold. Yeah, I mean, you're, there's nothing, yeah. There's the best thing about Northwestern is a lake. Yeah, you can't. I mean, look, they have great facilities there. You still can't recruit. It, it's it that that was the one guy when I looked at this list and I saw him at twelve. I said to myself, if there was anybody that I think you could make a case for over Mac Brown, it would be Pat Fitzgerald. I uh, see. I think James Franklin's got a really good case because you don't win nine games at Vanderbilt if you can't coach. I mean, look, he's a heck of a coach. And I think you know he's done. A, he did a good job of building the Vanderbilt program, but I right now with the talent that he's had at Penn State, what happened last year is one of those things that just kind of it, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth because you kind of have to wonder to yourself, how do you have that much talent and you win 
you're looking what, two at two games a, you're a year looking ago? at a year where you didn't have people in Beaver Stadium or four and five. Excuse me. You know, and look, that's that, Beaver Stadium is a place that. That home field advantage probably wins them one to two games a year. I get that, but again, no, and all these other coaches were coaching with the same and the buy-in factor. Because you got to remember, before the week, the 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 last week of the regular season, they weren't even guaranteed a conference championship game or a chance to go to the playoff. What was the point in playing those games if you couldn't? You didn't know before the week before championship weekend. Oh, we're going to grant you access to make the playoffs. Isn't that isn't that on the coaching staff though? Look at the rest. Look at the rest of the Big Ten. You had plenty of teams that bought in. His team did not buy in. Why? I I don't see how that's not a slight on him. Now, do I think that he should be fired? No. Do I think that he should even really be on the hot seat coming into this year? No. Because again, when we go, when we talk about these bigger programs, the biggest question is: if you fire that guy, who who are you coming in? Who's coming in to take over that you think is this magical savior? My thing is, but how many coaches in that? In that job, in that division, which has Ohio State, Michigan, which is still even Michigan isn't great. They're still eight and four, nine and three. Michigan State, even in the rebuilding, how many other coaches would have done what he's done? He, he took them to two New Year Six bowl games. I think Mac Brown could have done that. I don't see. I see. I don't Mac see. Brown, I think Mac, Mac Brown, Brown can't beat Virginia. I, I I mean, you're gonna have those slip ups along the way, and I mean, James Franklin's had those slip ups along the way. That's the thing. Like you can look back with the, with all these guys that are in that range. You can look back. Like the biggest thing with Pat Fitzgerald is, I mean, he has those years where he's really, really good. Then the next year, his team's three and nine, or he's had that year where he started four and zero, played in a significant game on Saturday night against Ohio State. They lost the game and they fell down to four and eight. But again, I mean, this is another one of those arguments where you're picking at straws to try to find small flaws with these guys. Like, there's a reason why they're ranked as high as they are on this list. Now, I saw some of the other guys that were up there. Like, Mario Cristobal at 16 blows my mind. Like, I I get that he's done a good job at Oregon. That team has not even come close to the playoff yet under him. He was a complete disaster in his prior coaching stint at Florida International, which I get. You know, you're at a smaller school, but that's a job that people have won at before, and I don't think you can just take that out of his legacy and say, well, we're going to forget about that part. Um you know, Ed, Ed Orgeron, I mean, look, he won a national championship. That's another one that you could probably make a really strong argument for on that list. Um, but, I, I mean, look, the thing is, if you're taking everything into account with how they build a program, and if you're taking all their history into account, too, you're talking about a guy in Mac Brown that has a national title to his name. That's going to carry some weight, and especially if you're going to try to put him in that same category with James Franklin, with Pat Fitzgerald, I mean, you're probably going to go with the guy that's won a national championship over those two. That championship was 16 years ago. You can't hang your hat on a title that you won almost two decades ago. But are we still are we taking that away? Not saying that's what you're hanging your hat on. He's getting the job done now. I mean, look, he's taking this team from two wins to an Orange Bowl appearance and eight wins. He's built 
what he's done on the recruiting trail. I mean, this is a team right now that a lot of people believe once they, you know, because again, everything is sort of messed up with the scholarships and everything like that, meaning that your recruiting classes, you know, Carolina's recruiting class will probably be 14 or 15. There'll be other recruiting classes in the country because they had guys that, you know, a bunch of guys that transferred. They had a bunch of guys that didn't take the super senior year. They'll be bringing in 25 or so guys, so they'll have a normal size class that'll have them up there. But in terms of average ranking, you're looking at a guy in Mac Brown that's probably going to have Carolina probably around the top 10 in terms of the average recruit ranking that's coming in. So I think he's proving that, look, he can get the job done now. So I understand not hanging your hat on that. I'm saying if you're looking for an element that's going to separate him with how close I think that group is, I think he's probably your guy. I would say if he's in that group with Ed Orgeron, you would probably have him and Ed right there. I think with Orgeron, the one concern with Orgeron is look at how much great talent he had on that one team. It was a mass... I'm trying to think back to when he got in there. I think some of that was the previous staff that was there. So that's where I think you kind of have a little bit of difficulty giving him all the credit. But that, I mean, he did a great job of putting all that together. I mean, he turned Joe Burrow into a guy that went from being an afterthought at Ohio State to one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the country in terms of just one season on paper. Um, so I, I would say those are probably your two guys. But I think, you know, Pat Fitzgerald has an argument. James Franklin, as you mentioned, has an argument. And I think that's probably the group right there. But out of those four, if I had to lean with one, I would go with Mac Brown. I think if they would have beaten one the Orange Bowl without Michael Carter, Javante Williams, and De'Ami Brown in that lineup, I think I'd be more willing to say – Yes, because you lost 5,000 yards of total offense from that game. And now, granted, they were in the game in the fourth quarter, but that doesn't count. I'm, you know, this isn't uh, – just because you were in the game, you didn't win the game. And I think that was a good chance for him and his staff to prove that they are up and coming because we all believe the staff's done a great job, and they have. But for them to take the next step, you know, that's that's a game that other schools and other coaches would have found a way to win, and we just didn't. I don't know about that. I mean, how many of those guys do you honestly think? First of all, guys like Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Ryan Day, they will never have to deal with anything like that because they're going to make the playoff until the end of time. Now, the good news is is that with the playoff expanding, more teams are going to start be to, to start, you know, and it end up being like that where you're not going to see a lot of guys that are going to end up missing their postseason games because they're going to be meaningful games. Um, but I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how many people could survive that with what they lost on offense. I mean, they put up a great – I think the main thing in that game was you saw the fact that they still don't have the depth – yet. And, I mean, you could put that on Mac Brown and his staff. Honestly, a lot of that still goes back to Larry Fedora and his staff. That just neglected recruiting depth, especially on the defensive side of the football and the offensive line. I mean, you could tell that there were just guys that weren't uh, they, they weren't up to the level that the guys on the other side of the football were. And Carolina's building towards that. That's part of why Mac Brown's recruiting success is, has been as good as it has been because he's really focused mainly on the defensive line. He has knocked that out of the park. He's got some big-time offensive linemen that have come in. This feels like the class where he could really make a statement if he was to land Zach Rice out of the state of Virginia. Um, but I, I, I think... You'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy with the amount of players that Carolina was missing in that game. I mean, dude, look at Florida. 
they did not look anything like the team that they were in the regular season. Are we going to put that all on Dan Mullen for those bad guys, coaching? Those guys are better players than Carolina's players. That that drop-off level from their starters to their second team is a lot larger than from Carolina's first team to their isn't, second isn't team. That, wouldn't that be a slight on Dan Mullen, though? Wouldn't you want to recruit guys that if you end up – because well, here's the thing. Let's say you lose they Kadarius a, Tony to an a, injury. They had two first-round picks set out that game. How many first-round picks did Carolina have in the NFL draft? Oh, I mean – yeah, no, none. But I mean, Javante. So, you, so I mean, that, you lost. That, that you lost more overall. More significant than 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 ours. But wouldn't Florida? Isn't Florida supposed to have better talent than ours? Aren't you supposed to be able to rotate? I mean, if you're this is the thing. Most people think that Dan Mullen is probably getting into that area where he's going to join Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley. He's going to be in that that group that is hoping to get to the level that Alabama and Clemson are at. You lose a guy, you put another guy in, he replaces them, really no problem. But, I mean, look, that that was not what happened in that bowl game. I'm not putting it all, all on Dan Mullen. My point is that you can't put everything that happened in that game, that that loss, on Mac Brown. I mean, he you're you're dealing with guys that had it. I mean, a, a, mainly your guy, your offensive weapons didn't have much of a rapport with Sam Howell, you know. And I mean, still there was a chance. Look, if Choffrey Brown doesn't drop the pass. It could have been a different game. But that's something that again, it's on execution. Got to get the job done. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there there's I'm I'm not going to knock Mac Brown for that loss. I'm really not. I think he's a hell of a coach. I think he's definitely – I have him number 10 in the country right now. But I think, you know, there there's an argument for some of these other guys, but I think with everything that he's done at Carolina and especially if he can get – if he can live up to the expectations that he has this year, I have no doubt in my mind that he would be a top 10 coach in college football. I guess we'll have to wait and see. So uh, let's move on, talk about some of the guys that will try to help him cement that legacy as a top 10 coach in college football. It starts at the quarterback position, and of course it starts with the guy that is going to be Carolina's best hope for a Heisman Trophy since Charlie Choo Choo Justice back in 1948 and 1949, finished second in both of those years. Sam Howell, uh, a guy that in Vegas isn't quite as popular as he was a couple of months ago. There are some guys that have climbed up above him, uh, but he's still inside of that top five, top six in terms of the uh, percentage, in terms of the betting odds to win the Heisman Trophy. So if you are a, a betting person, I mean, look, he's 14 to 1 odds right now. That's probably about as good as it's going to get. I feel like there will be a lot of people as the season starts uh, to get towards uh, its beginnings and you start seeing a lot more of these, you know, these shows on television. You start seeing college game day come back. There will be a lot more hype that's going to start coming around him as the season, uh, you know, gets to its uh, its forefront. But, uh, you know, I, I look at Sam Howell. I think he's uh, a guy that is probably going to have the most pressure on him that he's had since he's come to Carolina. As you mentioned, he loses 2,000-yard running backs uh, out of the backfield, guys that combine for almost 3,000 yards of total offense. You lose your number one wide receiver in Deami Brown. You also lose your slot receiver and one of the more accomplished receivers in program history in Daz Newsom. So there's a lot that has to get ironed out here. Uh, but, you know, again, you're still talking about probably 
I mean, he's definitely the best quarterback in Carolina football. I would, uh, in Carolina football history, I should say. Uh, he definitely, I think, is in the conversation as well for one of the top five quarterbacks in ACC history, especially through his first two years uh, on campus. I think as you know, once he concludes his third season, then that's when you can sort of get that real argument going forward. Uh, is it? Is it? You know, too much to ask of this guy early on in the season, though, to put this team on his back the way that he's going to have to. Because, I mean, you're talking about a team that has to replace a lot of production out of the gate and starts with a game against a team that they've never played well against in a place where they've never played well. I mean, if if he's believed to be, you know, the potential number one NFL draft pick, a Heisman hopeful, then no. Then, the, then what's going to be asked of him isn't too much. And it shouldn't be too much. I think Sam's the kind of guy that embraces what we're going to have to ask out of him because you're going to enter the season probably when you open up that game at Virginia Tech. I do think that team will be more pass-oriented at that moment of the season. And we've seen, as great as Sam is, and as much as we love seeing him throw the football, outside of that Wake Forest game, when this offense is a pass-first offense – The result usually is Sam puts up big numbers, Carolina loses. That's usually the result we've gotten because this team and this offense is built and designed to run the football first and let their passing game be an extension of that. Now, look, we may open up the game at Virginia Tech, and we may know, and we we may have an idea that you know this guy's going to run the football for us the majority. We can we can run the ball really well. I don't think that's going to happen, but if Sam is the guy that we think he is, and in our opinion he's the best quarterback in college football, then what's going to be asked of him isn't too daunting. Yeah, I I think you're right. I mean – it's only fitting that you look at one of the games where he didn't have a ton of where the team overall didn't have a ton of success, but he was fantastic. It was that, the last game at Virginia Tech. Yeah. Absolutely destroyed the Hokies defense. Now here's the thing. This is there, there's elements around him that must be better than they were at that time. You've got to be able to run the football. Ty Chandler guy that the coaching staff has talked a lot about. We're going to talk about him when we go ahead and preview our running backs. Uh, I, I think that it's really key for him early on to show that he is capable of carrying the load in that backfield because there's a lot of other guys that are unproven. And who knows? There could be a star that breaks out of that backfield. You never know. That happens all the time in college football. But I think that's one of the elements that could really help. And I think the other thing, and this is, I think, something that is going to be inevitable and may allow this team to have success in those games where they have to just lean on Howell heavily because they can't run the ball. This defense has to be better than they were in that game against Virginia Tech, and I think they are. I think right now, especially on paper, and with that being the first game of the year, I've talked about this multiple times with people when they've asked me about that first game of the year. There's no excuses. You are coming in fresh. This is not a team that's going to be facing Virginia Tech like you have in some years where you're coming off a game against Georgia Tech where your defensive line was beat up against a cut-heavy team. Or, you know, you're, you're, you're coming off a game against a very physical Miami team and you end up having to play this team this is the first game of the year everybody that I mean for the most part you may end up losing guys in fall camp it does happen this is the healthiest you're going to be entering that game you need your defense to play well 
But I'm with you. I think you just you don't want to lean on him too much, but he's got the capability to do it, especially in the fourth quarter. He is the best fourth quarter quarterback in the country the last two years. To be honest with you, production-wise, if you go back and look, he's probably the best quarterback in the country the last two years. His numbers are as good as they get. He, you know, I, I mean, look, the, the deep throwing numbers are crazy. You wonder how those get affected with De'Ami Brown not being there. Are there guys that can step up and take his place? To me, that's probably the biggest concern about this offense. I know a lot of people are worried about the running game. I'm not really that concerned about that. I want to know, can they find somebody to take De'Ami Brown's spot, especially if his brother Chaffrey is not 100%, yeah. which it feels like he is going to be, but we, we don't know that for sure. Um, but, I mean, look, w- when it comes down to late-game situations, I don't think there's a quarterback in the country that you could want more than Sam Howell. This is a guy that we, we've heard multiple times, film junkie, always working on his craft. So you would think that even though you may ask the question, how does this guy take another step forward? He's going to find a way to try to take that step forward. And I think one of the biggest things is is we saw it at times from him last year. You know, getting rid of the football is going to be key. I think one of the other things, though, is I think there was, at times, he was shocked a little by the big stage. Primarily, that game against Florida State, I think, caught him off guard a little bit. That was a school that he was committed to at one time. He flipped on on signing day to commit to Carolina. Uh, It it was a nighttime game. First time Carolina had been ranked in the top five uh, since Mack Brown was on campus the first time. So there was a lot of pressure on him. This year, I think he's he knows in his mind that, look, this is where this program's going to be. This is my chance to leave my legacy here. The numbers are great, but we've talked about it. As of right now, his numbers are phenomenal. He's won eight games. That's the most he's yep. won in a season. He wants to put together a better legacy than that, and we'll see if he can take that step forward in those big-time games, which you're going to face those big-time games throughout the season, then I think he will be able to take it to that next level. If he doesn't, Carolina won't get to where they want to get to. And the expectation entering this season is ACC championship game or bust. That's the expectation. You're going yep. to be a preseason top 10 team. You're going to be a trendy pick to as the, as the number one dark horse to crash the college football playoff. If they don't make the ACC championship game this season – is a bust, and you're looking at the potential of your best quarterback in the history of your program leaving with never playing in Charlotte for an ACC title. Now, he took his New Year's Six Bowl game, but that was – that's, you know, that, that's, that's hearsay. we got to get to Charlotte to deem this season successful. If, yeah. And the big – I think the thing we're going to learn about him is does he have the ability to elevate the people around him? Because he walked into a pretty dream scenario where Larry Fedora recruited the hell out of skill position players. There was a lot of talent at the wide receiver position. You had you, you found a diamond in the rough in Javante Williams, but Michael Carter was a high-end recruit. He was supposed to do what he did, especially that last season. He had a lot of talent around him. All that's gone. If he can elevate those guys that are coming in and the guys he's been playing with for two years – That's going to say a lot about him. The only thing that I would say to that is that the guy to me that shows he can elevate guys around him. Actually, there's two guys. De'Ami Brown was not the same guy that he was when he came in. I don't think that De'Ami Brown is... At, you know, a guy that can leave early if he doesn't play with Sam Howe. I don't see him being the player that he was. And I think 
It's a guy that's going to be with him this year, and we'll see if that continues. I think Bo Corrales was a guy that really benefited from him back in 2019. Well, I do not think that if you put somebody else you in there. you got a quarterback that can get you the ball. I mean, when Nathan well, Elliott can't throw a 15-yard out route, there's a problem. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I think if you put the majority of quarterbacks in college football at Carolina, you tell them to throw to Bo Corrales. I don't think Bo Corrales is as successful. With the success that guys like Deami Brown and Daz Newsom had, you put in Bo Corrales who found, you know, remember, both of those guys were 1,000-yard receivers. He ends up getting almost 600 yards receiving as well. I think if you put him with some of these other quarterbacks, I'm talking about high-end quarterbacks in college football, I don't know if they're able to get him to the point that he was that year. So I think he's shown that he can elevate some of the guys around him. But now, this is the thing. Early on in the season, what can he do with a running game that you just don't know a whole lot about? There may be games where you come out and run the ball for 40 yards, and you got to figure out, okay, what do I do to get creative? Now, it's not only on him. It's on Phil Longo. It's on how do you game plan if your your original plan of run the football, end up, you know, opening up some of those some of those deep passes off of your running game doesn't work uh but we'll see what you know if Sam Howell can adjust and I think you know another thing you know we talked about the bright lights of playing in some of these big games the other thing for him is you know he's got to be ready to go and I think he will be but I think he's got to be ready for the Heisman talk that's something that you know look you can be you know one of the best guys in the country. But when you start getting into that Heisman conversation and they're literally scrutinizing, they're scrutinizing games where you throw for 340 yards, you have three incompletions the whole game and three touchdowns, but some other guy threw for seven touchdowns and 600 yards in a game. I, that's something that, that that pressure, especially with the fact that you know Carolina's never had a Heisman Trophy winner, and you know it's probably his last season on campus. You wonder how he handles that. I say all of this. I think he's a guy that's built to handle that because everything that he's shown us, even from the first, I mean, from his first game on campus, he took over in a game that Carolina was not supposed to win. They were trailing in the second half of that game, came out, made all the throws that he had to, including one that probably should have been intercepted, but it still goes down as a catch in the record books. Um, I think he's shown that he can handle that pressure, and I think he's ready to take on take that on this year. I hope so. So then you go to the backup quarterback battle. This is probably going to be one of the more interesting ones in camp. I think a lot of the other battles that we kind of talked about, um, you know, going into the spring, I, I still think some of those are going to be going on. But I think this is one of the ones that a lot of people are going to be watching, mainly because of the fact that this is probably going to decide who the next quarterback at Carolina is going to be after Sam Howell leaves. Uh, you got your Colby. Criswell, who is, of course, the incumbent. He ended up winning the, the backup job, uh, you know, about uh, probably a couple of games into the season last year between him and Jace Reuter. Um, you know, both guys saw some action late in the year, but you could tell by the end of the season it was very clear that he was ahead of Jace Reuter. Uh, he's a guy that a lot of people have said is pretty much a perfect fit for this offense. His comp coming out of high school was Sam Howell, so can't really fit this offense much better with the success that Howell has had Uh, but he's a guy that's going to have to fend off one of the more talented players and one of the best high school football players to come out of the state of North Carolina uh, in Drake May Uh, this is a guy that the last time we saw him on the field at Myers Park High School he threw 50 touchdowns and two interceptions he came out in the spring game Uh, he didn't look great but no one did because it was raining amongst the quarterbacks still showed off a big arm and the main thing that I think surprised a lot of people 
people with him is the fact that he can use his legs. Now, again, he's got to put on some weight. He is a much thinner quarterback than either of the other two guys that we mentioned before him. But at the same time, he's definitely got the arm talent. And at this point, it seems like most Carolina fans have kind of just passed over Criswell and have said, look, May's our next guy. I don't know if it's as cut and dry as that, though. I think this is going to be a really good battle as we go into fall. Well, you mentioned when we started that Carolina has the best quarterback room in the ACC. They do. I think Carolina, you could argue, they have the best quarterback room in the country. When you look at the depth of the position with Criswell, you're bringing in Drake May, a guy that was at once committed to Alabama. He flipped his commitment to Mac Brown and the Tar Heels. That shows you the type of talent that you have in there. And so, I, you know, I, I think this, this – first off, this battle is important. Because remember when we entered the first year, there wasn't re- when when Sam he never got hurt, but when he got benched against Wake Forest for those couple drives, they were just kind of playing with fool's money with Jace Ruder because they didn't think Jace Ruder was ready at the time. He just was able to produce. You look at last year, Sam of course never got hurt, but they were more confident if something were to happen to Sam that they could still run their offense at, at you know about. So, you know, 90%. So right now you got to worry. The question is, okay, Criswell's the best. You know, he, he's the more ideal fit for the offense over Drake May. But is he better? And I don't know. If you look at the you look at the eye test from the spring game, I like Drake May over, over yep. Criswell. I agree and with I that. And I do think we've got to be prepared that if Drake May wins the job, Criswell's going to transfer. And so I think yeah, and I mean I think we're, I think that's where we're at with the program, right? Which is that's a good thing. You know, it used to be transferring was was not a good thing. When out the portal, everyone transfers. But if you're in a position where you have healthy competition, and that's what Carolina has in that quarterback room, where these guys are transferring, that's a good thing. Where your program is in terms of recruiting and talent, that these guys are going to go somewhere else to play. And I mean, you don't have to be overly overly concerned. Go back to our last edition of the podcast. We're breaking down a quarterback that committed in the 2022 class. So Carolina's bringing other guys Which in. It shows you that they're prepared for one of these two. Right. I mean, look, they're, they're, I'm going to tell you, I would be stunned if Drake May transferred. I think if, if Criswell wins the job, but what, which, what I think is going to end up happening is if there's a case where Sam Howell goes down, he gets banged up, some, you know, who knows what happens to him. If he was to go down, I think the guy that they would go with first, Barring something unforeseen where May puts on a lot of weight, comes out, really just tears it up, it's probably going to be Criswell. Because you feel like, just from looking at his frame, I mean, you look at Drake May. Drake May takes a big hit. He could he, he could end up coming off the field as well. Yeah. Um, but the ultimate thing is, who gives you the better chance to win? Uh, Criswell, I, I think a lot of people are probably pretty critical of him just from watching him play in the game against Western Carolina, then watching him play in the spring game. The game against Western Carolina, again, you're out there with a lot of the second-team guys, so you're not going to be out there with the type of talent that you would be out there with if Sam Howell was to go down. You would imagine that some of the talent that is around him would be able to elevate him. Uh, And then in terms of the spring game, I don't really – first of all, if you take a ton away from the spring game – I don't really know how to help you. A couple years ago, we had a we had a friend uh, who went to one of the Springs games. Told us Jacob Schmidt was going to be one of the stars of the running yeah. back room. No offense to Jacob, he was not one of the stars of the running back room that year. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I would say Drake's probably the guy with the higher ceiling of the two. Yes, but. I, it, it I will think, come down to... It, I think Drake May will be the better quarterback of all the guys on the roster right now. I think he <sighs> I think he has potential to put up bigger numbers than Sam Howell. 
um, in this offense, and I think his uh, his athleticism will translate better to the NFL. You know, if, if he were to make to the NFL. I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. He's a guy that, I mean, he wasn't seen as that athletic in high school. Sam was a, a, a little more athletic, had some more rushing yards to him. I, I don't know. I'm not – I don't really want to go that far just yet because Sam, I feel like, is unbelievably special. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's in the same category as Trevor Lawrence and Jameis Winston in terms of his numbers through two years. So that's – I mean – it's a legacy that is going to be really hard to live up to. But I think Drake May, no doubt, I think Drake May is right in that same category uh, with Sam Howell. I don't know if Criswell is there, but I do think that, I mean, there's a reason why they had a guy in this in the 2020 class that was committed in Malik Hornsby. We, re- we remember he yeah. was committed in the class. They chose Criswell over him. Criswell was a lower-rated prospect, but they chose him because he fit the offense better. They felt like he was a guy that would be the perfect guy to take over for Sam Howe because at the time, they didn't know that they were going to land Drake May. Most people at that time said, there's no way Carolina's going to end up landing Drake May. He's going to go to a bigger program, especially when Alabama got involved. So I definitely think that he's going, he's going to fight hard for that job I think the experience definitely helps him but yeah I, I think it's really more of how quickly does Drake may adjust we've heard multiple comparisons from Mac Brown in spring camp he said man this kid looks a lot like Sam when he first came in well we're gonna find out if he comes out does similar stuff to what Sam did when he was a freshman in fall camp, then I think he's got a great chance to win that backup job. If not, though, I think Criswell will be yeah. there. And I, like I was saying, I think if Criswell wins that job, but May is at least in you know, shouting distance to where that will be a battle for the job again in next offseason, if Sam leaves, which we're assuming he does, then I think no doubt Drake would stay. I think if Drake wins that job, I think Criswell's out. Yeah. I think Criswell's out. I think Criswell goes to Arkansas. He's going to play under a guy um, that I, I recruited him extremely hard, has done a really great job there so far, um, and has really built that program in Sam Pittman, right? Yeah. yeah that was I, th- I thought that. Uh, he's done a great job there early on. Uh, you would feel like he, going back home, that would probably be a great fit for him. So we just we just have to wait and see. I mean, we also thought that about Jace Reuter last year. It never ended up happening. So you, you, you never really know. Uh, the other guys that are on the roster, just touch on them real quickly. Jefferson Boaz, uh, you know, big, tall, lanky guy. This is the thing about this Tar Heel quarterback room. I'm going to be honest with you. In years past, if you got anywhere close to this part on your depth chart, uh, you would basically say, well, we're going to be lucky if we move the ball across midfield in some of these games. Jefferson Boaz is a guy that, I'm going to be honest with you, if Carolina had to go with him for some reason, something happened to their quarterback room and he was the one guy that was left. I think he's a guy that you could put out there. He's not going to make a ton of throws, but for a number four quarterback on your depth chart, you probably feel a lot better about him than any of the other guys that you've had on your roster in a very, very long time. He's a former, you know, he's a legacy guy. His dad, Jay, played under Mac Brown as a punter back in the 90s. He's not going anywhere. If anything, he would move out of the quarterback position and end up moving to a different position. I know tight end was an area that he, you know, went through some reps at when he was going through uh, some of the camps and everything like that the year that he was recruited. Um, the other thing with him is, is that, 
this is uh, you know good assurance to where look at this point I'm not going to say Carolina would say they you know losing Jacoby Criswell wouldn't hurt but if Criswell was to transfer you got Jefferson Boaz yeah. there that's a guy that you feel confident can be your number three quarterback on the roster and then they also have another walk on that's going to be coming in another guy that's a freshman uh, you know out of the Charlotte area pretty accomplished in his days uh, at Charlotte Country Day High School Russell Tabor is going to be a walk on don't expect to talk about uh, about him that much but we always like to mention those other guys that are on the roster because you never really know who's going to end up having to play. Remember a couple years ago, Vincent Amendola, who has since transferred, he was the backup to Sam Howell. So you never really know who's going to get out there and see action. So that's your look at the quarterback position. Uh, Guys, we're going to be rolling through these over the next couple of weeks here, getting you ready for uh, this 2021 football team, trying to get everything in before the month of August, because then that's where we're going to start turning all of our focus to fall camp as the team gets ready for that September 3rd opener against Virginia. Tech. Uh, Again, our next edition of the podcast will be running backs, wide receivers. We'll do it like we've been doing the previews year in and year out. Same thing on the website. We're going to be doing it in that same order, so make sure that you guys are checking that out. HeelToughBlog.com for all of that. Also, that's where you can check out the podcast uh, as well uh, is uh, at the HeelToughBlog tab at the top of the page. Make sure you click that. You can go down, check out all the editions. If you're, you know, someone that likes to listen to the podcast instead of watch it, we totally understand. All these will, you know, all these editions will still be going on those platforms as well. We have them on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, all those apps. You can check out the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Even got it now uh, on uh, Audible, so you can listen there where you listen uh, to all your audiobooks, podcasts, all that stuff. We've got it on all of those websites for you guys to check it out. In terms of the website, uh, HeelToughBlog.com with the articles that we've got up as I mentioned we're going to have these preview articles but that's not the only thing we're still covering recruiting there are some big time guys that are still holding off on their commitments to this point but it feels like we're getting pretty close to some of Carolina's major targets pulling the trigger on those commitments we'll see if they end up being Tar Heels we'll have you covered there's some big ones that uh, are are out there right now that it feels like are on the verge guys like Jake Pope who uh, has done a lot of interviews here lately he said probably within the next two weeks that he's going to have his decision made so we're going to be covering covering you on that front uh, you've got of course Travis Shaw guy that Carolina has been after for a very very long time one of the best prospects that the state of North Carolina has ever seen and the Tar Heels are in good standing with them right now make sure you go over to the website check out all the stuff on recruiting we've got the stock reports that are up there don't know if we're going to be doing another one of those here soon don't really think there's enough around these guys right now with them not taking visits a lot of the guys, even though you can still take unofficial visits, have kind of shut it down. They've taken all their officials. Now they're just going to take time to try to narrow down their decisions and officially come to decisions here probably by the end of July. But we'll have you covered on all those fronts. And of course, go back uh, on the podcast side of things with recruiting. Check out the Connor Harrell edition of the podcast. Me and Zach break down his commitment talk about a couple of the other quick storylines before we get out of there on that one uh, so make sure you guys check that out as I mentioned uh, elsewhere on the podcast side of things uh, over on the uh, the I almost called it the Roy's Boys podcast I've done that way too many times the Four Corners podcast you guys can check out all the stuff that we're doing in the offseason Carolina basketball just like Carolina football they have been doing a lot of work on the recruiting trail they've landed a couple of guys there's a big time transfer in Dawson Garcia that 
that Carolina is after. Uh, they just hosted him for an official visit this past weekend, so uh, there's a lot going on on that front as well. We're going to be doing some stuff on the podcast side of things uh, where we talk about uh, you know some of the stuff from the Roy Williams era. We're going to give you some top five lists, everything like that, so it's going to be a really interesting summer there before those guys ramp it back up ahead of Hubert Davis's first season as the head honcho at Carolina, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's an exciting time on both sides of things. Uh, we've got you covered both on the website and the podcast. Lastly, best place to check out all of this stuff where you're watching this video right now, the Facebook page. If you haven't liked and followed the Facebook page, make sure you do. That's where you can get all of this information. Uh, you get notifications when we go live. The stories and all that stuff will appear right on your timeline, so you won't have to go ahead and search down the page and everything like that. Make sure you do that. Follow us on Twitter as well, at HeelToughBlog on Twitter. Uh, and uh, for the personal accounts, you've got me at HTB Anthony, Josh at HTB Josh, and then you've got Zach Hubbard, our recruiting guy. He is at HackZubber2 on Twitter. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Josh for co-hosting with me. want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Tar Heels! Go Tar Heels!